How's everyone doing? All right. So how many do watch um, on Brother Copeland's network on Victory? Oh, that's awesome. I want to just welcome a couple people. Actually, they're here from our church. Where they, where are, they're right over here. Why don't you guys stand? This is Fran Miller and Carolyn and Emmanuel Mullet. These guys live here in Florida um, during the winter, so they came to church today. That's awesome. And then here's something really wild before I start. There's um, there's a girl here that was in our youth group that actually attends this church. So when we were youth pastors, Candy, is Candy here somewhere? Where's she at? There's Candy. Hi, Candy. Her and her husband attend here, and um, sort of crazy that she was in our youth group back in Warren, Ohio, at my brother Joe's church. That's what we did before we pastored the church we're pastoring now. Hey, before I start, I want to thank... Um, Brother, Brother Keith and Miss Phyllis for asking me to come and preach. Um, we were here, I was here all week uh, for the minister's conference. And first of all, your, your church treats us so well, um, the ministers. So thank you for that. But thank you to them for uh, having me in. And I want to thank Dave, Mike, and the guys that have been taking care of uh, us while we're here, or me while I'm here. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Um, quick question before we start. I want to talk to you today about something I think is vital. But do you think it's vital to be in position to receive from God? How many think that's vital? Let me see your hands. To be in position to receive from God. That's what I want to talk to you about today. Positioned to receive. And there's one main thing that I want to talk to you about that sort of uh, affects all of us. It tries to knock us out of position to receiving from God. Now, if you were in the conference this week, Brother Keith did an amazing job talking about the great faith, the greatest faith that Jesus uh, saw. And it was a, a lady that, you know, Jesus, she said, man, I'll just, I'll eat the crumbs. The dogs eat the crumbs off the floor. And Jesus ended up telling her, I haven't seen anyone with great, he called her a dog for all of you that don't know the story. And I love him. Brother Keith says, what, what are you doing that happens? She say, bark, bark. Like, it's just like, I love that. Um, and then the other one was the guy that said, I have... I have people under me, I have people over me. And it was about submission. So one was about humility, one was about submission. And Jesus said, I haven't seen faith like that. So great faith comes with those two things. But then there are some things that try to knock us out of our faith and out from receiving from God. So we know that. But I want to talk to you about one specific one. So if you have a Bible, I want you to go to Romans chapter 8. And you're probably familiar with this, Romans the 8th chapter. And before I read there, let me tell you a quick story. So this is Super Bowl Sunday. You all know that, right? Um, go Steelers. But anyway, um, <laughs> I'm from Ohio, and I'm a Steelers fan. Isn't that weird? But um, here's, here's something I want to share with you. Growing up, starting in my fifth grade summer, I started playing football. And the first position that they put me in, because I was skinny, small, was wide receiver. And um, as I got older, my brothers opened up a bodybuilding gym, a, a big gym in uh, Boardman, Ohio. So I started working out, finally added some size, and got moved to running back eventually. But while I played wide receiver, I sort of loved that position when I played it. I knew I had to be at a certain spot when the quarterback was throwing the football. So if you, if you ever played football or watched it, you know that. Those wide receivers, they know exactly where they're going to be, and the ball's going to be there when they get there. So they're in position to receive. I was so into it, um, playing that sport, that my friend and I, he was a quarterback, I, I played wide receiver as we got older. I moved back into that position out of running back because I, I, I walked on at Youngstown State University um, and made the team, which was pretty amazing. Uh, be, be able to do. I went to the coach's house. This is when I knew I was called. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I went to the coach's house, knocked on the door. His name was Coach Narduzzi. And I said, I want to play football for your team. He's like, what are you doing at my house? And I said, I feel like I'm, I'm, I can play for your team if you just let me try out. He said, just come. And me and my friend walked on and played um, at Youngstown State that year. And I I was only probably uh, 18 years old. But here's what's crazy. My friend and I, every winter while winter was going on and everyone else was out partying, we went to a parking lot 
in our town that had been plowed, because we have snow for all of you that don't know in Ohio. And I practiced there with him for hours, just running patterns, being in the spot that he wanted me to be at so that I could receive that ball. So I did that for like really a long time and became pretty proficient with it. It doesn't do me any good now, but it's good for stories. But, uh, right. But I was in position to receive. Well, what I noticed after, so we pastored our church, Faith Family, this year going on 35 years uh, that we've been there. My wife and I, Barb, which she's not here with me, uh, we've been married over 40 years. So we've been, we've been doing this for a little bit of time. And um, one of the things that I know, this thing that I'm going to talk to you about, position to receive, when I walk into hospital rooms, when I pray for someone, one of the things that I always find out that's going on is what I'm going to talk to you about right now. And so I think if we could, first of all, help ourselves with this, get in the right position, and then be able to help others. Because I found out, I, I walk into places and pray for people sometimes, and they are not in position to receive And here's what I found out. You can't force them to be in position to receive. So Romans chapter 8, did you find that? I'm going to use the New King James on this one. So those that are doing screen, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. You're you're very familiar. It says, there is therefore now no, how much? No. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And it goes on and says, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The word condemnation is an interesting word. It actually means a damnatory sentence. That just doesn't even sound good, period. A damnatory sentence on your life. It actually also means an adverse sentence or an adverse verdict. So we all know this. Before we accepted Christ, we all had a damnatory sentence on our life. I don't, I don't know if you know um, that before you accepted Christ, you were on your way to hell. That's, that's where we were all headed. All the same place. I used to tell people that would come up to me and tell me about Jesus. I'd tell them, I'm going to go to hell. I know it. They would tell me about Jesus. I'd be like, I know I'm going to hell. I'm going to party there. Because I was just in high school. I was partying, all that kind of stuff. And they would just look at me like, you're an idiot. But the truth of the matter was, when you don't know Jesus, you don't know about hell. And you don't know the torment that this is forever out of the presence of God and away from God and away from the light of God. So that's not good. So one day I accepted Christ in my life and I know this, the sentence was removed. But here's the problem and it's probably the problem all of us face is after we receive Christ, we all do stuff. We think stuff. I'm talking about stuff that's not in accordance with the word of God. It's not in line with the word. So we do stuff sometimes and we're like, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. And then here's what happens. Condemnation starts to come. So for you and I, if I want to get into a position to be able to receive from God, I'm going to have to deal with this thought of condemnation. Like it is real and people deal with it all the time. I remember praying for someone one time and they kept on saying out of their mouth while I was praying for them, while they were in a hospital bed, I can't, I cannot receive that. I just stopped after a while. I'm like, are you talking to me? Like, I I didn't know who they were talking to. We're praying that they'll be healed. And they said, I can't receive. I'm not worthy. I cannot receive. Now we all know the day that we received Christ, we became worthy. We're not worthy in and of ourselves. We understand that. But the day we receive Christ in our life is the day we become worthy of everything that he has to offer. But here he says there's no condemnation. Condemnation is a faith killer. And I know you going to this church. I know you've heard that before. But how many know it's not what we had heard? It's what we're hearing right now for the moment right now for what God wants to do right now. So I'm going to get you to get your faith ready. I'm going to be praying for people here at the end for whatever it is you need that maybe condemnation or something has been trying to get you out of position. So you can get ready to receive, and that means listen really well. Open your heart up and say, okay, God, if I need to hear this, it doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are. Condemnation is a faith killer. So it doesn't mean, you know, man, I've been saved for 35, 40 years. I'm, I'm good. No condemnation here. The devil is a condemnation devil. What he does is put condemnation on people because he knows they will not be able to receive 
from God. So let's jump in and talk about a couple things that condemnation will do. So when you are condemned, here's what happens. You cannot receive from God. You have a hard time talking with God. You have a hard time hearing from God. So when you are under condemnation, you have a hard time talking with him. You have a hard time going ahead and just hearing him. You have a hard time receiving from him. All of these things because of one thing, condemnation. Now, I'm not an expert on condemnation, but I've experienced it before. I'm thankful I'm not an expert on it. But there are some people, they're experts on condemnation. They'll tell you, I mean, I I know exactly what you're talking about. I live a condemned life. Well, God doesn't want you to live a condemned life. That's the last thing that he wants. A condemned life means a hindered life. You will not be able to do what God wants you to do when you are condemned all the time. So I don't know if you face this in Florida, but in Ohio, there are times that we faced all these different seasons and along with it, the challenge to fight off sinus stuff. Anyone know what I'm talking about? If you're from from Ohio or that kind of thing, you know, I don't know if in Florida, the same thing. All I know is I come to Florida and I breathe the air right when I get off the plane and I'm like, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) It's so amazing. I'll just give you this real quick. Before I left, I preached on the Sunday before I left um, last week. Saturday, we had prayer at the church. I'm on my way to church and I look down at my dashboard and it says six degrees. You have no idea how refreshing this week was in Florida. But anyway, let's talk about sinus stuff just for real quick. But how many here um, have ever fought off a sinus infection or sinus stuff? You, you know what I'm talking about then? What does it do to you? Well, you sound different. You talk different. Right? All, all that stuff. But for sure, your whole body is affected by something that's going on right here up in your head. But your whole body is affected by it. When you are condemned... Everything about you is affected. You don't act the same. You don't talk the same. You don't even look the same because you are condemned. You know a lot of people that have condemnation. There's a certain look that they have about them. It's not the look that God wants. God wants you to have a smile on your face. We heard that just a moment ago. God wants you to be a happy individual. And there's a reason why. The world should be able to look at you and come to you and say, why? Why are you happy with what's going on right now in the world that we live in? And then it opens the door wide open for you to share what Jesus did for you, right? So, real quick, sinus stuff is miserable for some people. I know people that have it. Every They'll say this out of their mouth. It's not something you should say. Every fall I have sinus infection. And they do. Like, that's pretty wild that every fall they have one. Um, but spring in our, in our community and fall in our community, that's where people get the challenge with it. So it affects everything about them. So what about you? What is it that you have with this idea of not being in position because of condemnation? How does that affect you? When does it come into your life? Are you laying your head down at night in, on the pillow, getting up in the, uh, in the daytime, in the morning, whenever? Individual told me this. I lay my head down on the pillow at night, and here's what I hear. You're going to die tonight. I get up in the morning, and I hear this. I hear a voice that says, you're going to die today. Now, how many know there's something you could do with that? Like, tell it to go. Like, command it to stop. But this person, they told me, until they started coming to our church and hearing the word, they, they told me, we did this for years. I would lay down. And hear this voice, you are going to die while you're asleep. And this was not an older person. So you you understand, like, if you listen to that long enough, people will say, I don't know what happened to them. They were a younger person and they just died. Let me explain the difference between condemnation and conviction. If you're jotting down notes, you might want to write this down. Conviction is when God deals with your heart about something that he wants you to change. Condemnation is from the enemy, and it always tears you down and makes you feel like you are not worthy. But think about conviction. 
if you were at the meeting this week, so Brother Keith mentioned Andrew Murray's book on humility. And so back years ago, um, all the way back in Tulsa, I heard Brother Keith teach one time on humility. And I found this book because he had mentioned the book. So what I do every year in January, we have a fast at our church. It's a, we do 21 days and we ask people, fast whatever you feel God. Pray, ask God. So some people do food, but they're not that brave, most people. So they do TV. They'll fast TV. They'll fast social media. In fact, if you're here and you are always doing this on your phone, it might be good to not do that. Like, I got to see what so-and-so posted, you know. And I know as you're older, you're not maybe into the Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat. You don't even know what they are. You know Facebook. So when you get older, you're like, I I know Facebook. I I go on and I I look at Facebook. I got to see what my friends posted. If you have kids, can I just encourage you about something? Snapchat, TikTok are ruining our kids. So you might want to just help them and take a break from this because this has really hurt a lot of young people and then guess what happens to them they live in condemnation because they're seeing things that some of us have never seen in our lives all these ages that we've been serving God they're seeing things they should not see I would encourage you if you're a parent or a grandparent or a great-grandparent talk to your kids your grandkids your great-grandkids and tell them Some of this stuff is just not healthy. TikTok, there are so many things that are posted. I know this because I have grandkids and their parents don't let them on it because of what is on there. So I would encourage you that that was just for free, (laughs) by the way. Conviction comes this way. So I read that book, Andrew Murray's book, and I actually read two of them. There's another guy um, that has a book on humility. It's, it's called um, From Pride to Humility. So I read that book, and then I read Andrew Murray's book on all through that fast. So here's what I feel. I, I've told our churches, I feel like I'm getting beat up for the whole month while I'm reading. It's like God's just like, you got to deal with that. you got to deal with that. Then I come here. So, I, so no, this is, this is truth. I thought I'm good. I, I already took 21 days and did all this. And Brother Keith gets up and starts talking about humility and submission, and I'm like, Lord, I guess I didn't get it yet. I need to hear this more. So, as a believer, I know this. There is never a time when I'm sitting in a church service where God's not dealing with me about something. And I know He's doing that with you. So even if you're here and you're like, man, I think I'm pretty good. I don't have anything going on in my life with condemnation. I wonder if there's something else, God, during this, because I'm not done, during this, that God's going to speak to you or deal with your heart about. Just like I was sitting there every, I took tons of notes, but the times that you could not see that Brother Keith was running over me, right, over your feet, you're, you're getting run over, you're like, oh man, I'm going to act like I'm writing this down, but dear Jesus, I repent, because um, I need this right now, right? So that's good. God wants to deal with your heart. We don't need to come to church and never have a conviction of something, right? So conviction is important. Condemnation is horrible. It's not good for us. So back to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read again. New King James. And then I am going to use another translation or two uh, to show you this. But watch this. There is therefore. Now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you have a Bible, do you have a little A? You should. If you're reading, you'll see a little A right after that. It says there's no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus and then an A. If you're reading off off of the um, Bible app, it'll have a bubble. So you see this little bubble there, right? And in the Greek language, it literally says not in the original Greek. It is say that. So from this point on, it's not in the Greek. And I want to talk to you about that, just why and what, what's going on there. It says, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to spirit. And here's what um, scholars say. Jameson, Fawcett, Vincent, word studies, they say not in the original Greek, added by the writers. So there are times they added some stuff in, right? So I used to get mad at that. I mean, literally, I'd just be mad. I'd be like, why'd they add that? Like, why did they put that in? It just sort of made me mad when I'd, I'd find that out. I'm like, why? Then I realized why they actually did it. 
They were trying to explain why condemnation comes. And the next verse, and we'll read it in a moment, actually tells you. But they just decided, we're going to put this in here, because if you walk after the flesh, condemnation is going to come into your life, because you're doing things you shouldn't be doing. It's pretty simple, right? I don't know how many of you lived the way that I did before Christ, but I I received Christ when I, I graduated from high school, was actually at Youngstown State University, and believe it or not, in a Catholic church service. I heard about Jesus, but I didn't receive Christ. Like I I started hearing things because the Catholic church at that time was having this revival happening in it. But what happened to me, and it's interesting that Brother Keith brought this guy up um, during the meetings, but there was a guy, we had a radio station in Canton, Ohio, but I lived in Warren. And so I had a 71 Cutlass all redone with my own stereo system, with my own speakers and with power amps. To make sure that it put out, you know, you all know, you all shaking your head. You're like, I remember those days. And um, so I'm on my way home from work and we've been hearing about Jesus. I did not have a personal relationship with Jesus. So we would hear about him. I'm riding home in my car from work. There's a station called WTOF out of Canton, Ohio. I don't live in Canton, Ohio. I live in Warren, Ohio. But I'm flipping around looking for... There was a song that just ended, and a song came on I didn't want to hear. The song that just ended was Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll. Now, there's a song you want to listen to, right? I'm not saved. I don't know Jesus. And I'm switching around, and I hit 98.1, and a guy says, Don't touch that dial! And I'm like, what? I mean, when you're driving and you're on your way home from work, and I'm like, what? And it's R.W. Schombach preaching. And he actually is just going in. I'm on my way home from work. He's just ending his message and telling people, if you would like to receive Christ in my 71 Cutlass pulling into my mom and dad's driveway, I'm still just right out of high school. I received Christ through him preaching about Jesus right there at the end of his message. And Brother Keith was mentioning him, and that, that's why that brought it up to me. But I lived my life so in a different direction than living it for God. My mom and dad had us in church, by the way, every Sunday. Right? In church. Some of you might be here because your mom and dad made you come to church with you today. But here's what I know. We were in church, and it put some good values in us. But it never gave me a relationship with Jesus Christ. In that car that night, I received Christ. And I went in the house, and my older brothers had already received Christ. My brother Joe, my brother Tony. Many of you guys know Tony and Patsy. Um, That's my brother. Patsy is my sister-in-law. And um, here's what they said. I said, guys, I received Christ in the car. They said, there's no way. (laughs) Not you. My brothers went to the Catholic priest in our church back before this happened. And they said, there's something wrong with him. He stares at walls. He doesn't talk to anyone. He seems like he's high all the time. There's something wrong. And the priest said, listen, you need to keep an eye on him. He's going to die from all this stuff he's doing. I was like, well, if I die, I'm going to party in hell. And they hated that. So I walk in the house and say, I received Christ in the car with some guy. I didn't even know who the guy was. I mean, I heard him say at the end, but I I didn't know him. And they're like, no way. They said, we'll know that you're really safe if you'll take all your albums and burn them. I'm like, what? I had albums like you would not believe because we were musicians growing up. So I was like, there's no way I'm doing that. And as time went on, I did not burn them, by the way. We took them in the backyard and shot stuff through them. Just thought that was what we were supposed to do. But here's what happened. A life changed happened. I was dating my wife at that time. Then we broke up because my brothers told her, do not date him anymore. He doesn't know Jesus yet. And until he does, don't date him and don't tell him you are because he'll do it just for you. So he can get you. I was like, well, thank you, brothers. That was a blessing. But um, why I'm telling you this whole story. When Jesus came into my life, he radically changed it. 
and I all of a sudden had all the weight lifted of condemnation that I lived in. I did so many things I can't, I won't get into them, but it was not good, and it all lifted just instantly. But then when I received Christ, I had, you know how people say they have the honeymoon little time with Jesus. I had all that stuff where you're just almost on a high, man. It's like, wow. But then reality kicks in, and you're living life. You're going to work. You're doing all the stuff that you're doing. So I did stuff at times where I knew this is not what God would want me to do. And then I'd start feeling bad. I started feeling condemned. So I think everyone in this room, I think I got you at least listening now. You're like, oh, wow. He was like I was. He partied. Um, Because some of you, I I can see it. You're like, man, you're my type right there, buddy. Well, that was years ago, by the way. Romans chapter 8. Now, I don't know that they have these translations. If you guys are this good, you're amazing. But Romans chapter 8, verse 1, the Johnson translation. Might not have that one. It says this, now there, I just want to see, do they have it? No. Now there is no accusing voice nagging those who are united with Christ. No accusing voice nagging those who are with Christ. Anyone here ever feel like there's a nagging? I'm not talking about your wife or your husband, but there's a nagging voice. It's just there. He says, now that you're in Christ, there is no accusing voice. The Kenneth Weiss translation says there is not even one bit of condemnation. Now, this is Romans 8, 1. That's all they say. They don't have all the other stuff that was said because that wasn't in the original uh, language. The Jordan translation says, there is then no charge against those who are in wedlock with Christ. If you've accepted Christ, you're in wedlock with him. And he says there's no charge against you. So I don't know about you. I am so thankful there's no charge. The Norley translation says... No sentence is hanging over those who are in Christ. I don't know how many times I've had people say, I just feel like I have something like hanging over me. No, wait. No sentence is hanging over you. Why? Because you're now in Christ. And when you came into Christ, you became a new creation. And when you became a new creation, you became the righteousness of God in Christ. There is nothing hanging over you. In fact, we say this all the time at our church. I'm sure you hear it here all the time. You are not going to be more righteous the day you enter into heaven. So when you became the righteousness of God in Christ, you got right standing with God. You're now right with God. The word righteousness means rightness with God. You will not become more righteous when you get to heaven. You might know more about it because you're limited in your knowledge and ability sometimes here to understand, but you will not be more. The day you receive Christ... You became the righteousness of God in Christ. You're going to walk through heaven's gates and you will be as righteous as you are right now. And so when, sometimes when you say that, people just look at you like, no, you can be more holy when you get to heaven, but you're not going to be any more righteous because righteousness happened in your spirit and your spirit was made brand new and you are the righteousness of God in Christ. You're as righteous as you're ever going to get. So notice back here it says, there's no condemnation back in Romans 8.1, the, the New King James, and it has that A. So let me talk to you about that just for a moment. So in Jameson Fawcett in Vincent Word Studies, it says the addition to this sentence qualifies who can be free of condemnation. The addition of, to this sentence qualifies who can be free. So what he's saying is you're not going to live a free life if you keep on living the way that you did before Christ. So the things I did before Christ, and here's sometimes what we have to do. We have to say, I'm going to own that I've been doing some stuff that's not right. I'm going to own it. You know we live in a world right now, no one owns anything. They don't own it. You know, they don't say, yeah, I've been, I was wrong. It's more, no, you're wrong. You shouldn't have done that. Everybody else is wrong, but you never own it yourself, right? That's sort of the world we live in. I'm not saying the church is that way. But it's that way right now in this world. So how many here, if you think about it, there were some things your mom and dad did, your family did, that you could think back, oh, that's why I'm like I am. Like, so my dad worked at Packard Electric, which was a division of uh, GM for Chevy vehicles, GMC, all of that. And he was a tool and die guy there for a year. So he worked midnights. So he would come home and tell us. When he would tell us about what he does, I smoke three packs of cigarettes a night. Three packs. I don't know who does that. 
but he did. And he used to brag about it. I smoked three, when he got saved, he'd tell people, I smoked three packs of cigarettes a day. He would go up to young people as he got older and he'd say, man, I want to just tell you, you keep smoking those, you're going to wind up like me because he had this little breathing thing, you know, later on in life, like before he went home to be with the Lord. My dad was an alcoholic. He accepted Christ at 55 years old. He stopped smoking. He stopped drinking. Why? Because if he kept on doing those things, they'd bring condemnation on him. Because he's doing the same thing he did before he received Christ. They did a study not long ago when they said amongst churches, amongst churches, pastors' wives drink more than anyone. Now, your pastor's wife doesn't, I can guarantee you. My, my wife doesn't. <laughs> you guys are laughing. You're like, no, that would never happen. Um, no, it wouldn't. Why? Because it would bring condemnation. And when condemnation comes, if I have to come up here and preach and I'm condemned, I'm feeling condemned, you can't preach with anointing, nor can you preach with boldness when you think, I am condemned. So my dad, I could blame my dad on my high school days. Well, really, junior high to high school. I could blame my dad on all the things I got into. It's his fault. He did that stuff, and then he... Just example in front of me, so I did it. So in other words, I had to come to a point in my life. My life was not my dad's fault. My mom was the sweetest lady you'd ever meet. Seven boys. Sweetest lady you'd ever meet. My mom, I mean, she just was so so gentle, so kind. Unless you mess with her boys. (laughs) Then that changed. But I could have got the sweetness from my mom, but I went ahead and followed my dad. And so in high school, when I was dating my wife, I would come in drunk sometimes in high school in the morning at a rally, yelling out stuff. Because when you're drunk, you know, you say stuff you wouldn't normally say. So when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you might even say some stuff that you wouldn't normally say, right? The Bible compares the two. But I wasn't filled with that. And one time my wife told me, she said, and I was dating her at the time, she said, I will not date you if you keep on living like this. I was like, what? And she said, my dad's an alcoholic and you're on the verge of being one yourself. I will not date you. And she wasn't a Christian. She was doing that while she was smoking a cigarette and telling me that. But we both came to Christ right around the same time and we decided all of that stuff was not stuff we wanted to bring into our marriage or into our home. We accepted Christ and lived a total different way. You more than likely did the same thing. But here's what I found out. Even though you do all of that, you're doing your life with God. You come to a church like this. You can still have times where the enemy comes and tries to condemn you. So I want to talk to you about that real quick. In Romans chapter 8, verse 2, it says this. So now you know some about my life. Thank God Jesus saved me. Romans chapter 8, verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The law, New King James, of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So in other words, when they, when they took this out and they decided we're going to add what should not be added, doesn't have to be added, but they did, that we don't walk after the flesh, all of that, because that's going to bring condemnation. Here's what he says. He says, you and I have been made free from the law of sin and death. It's the law of sin and death that causes you to live a condemned life. When I decide I'm not going to live under the law of the spirit of life, I'm going to live under the law of the spirit of death, as a Christ follower, you're going to live a condemned life. So you can make a choice and say, I don't want to live that way. I want to live my life sold out to Jesus, and I don't want to be condemned. Watch this. This is the New Living Translation. New Living Translation is Roman Romans 8, 1 and 2 says this. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. Notice Jesus, it just stops right there. Verse 2. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you. The Greek literally says released you from, set you free from the power of sin that leads to death. See, God knew better for all of us that if we keep on living the way we did before Christ, it's going to lead to death. And not just physical death, but it leads to spiritual. I don't want to live in stuff that I lived in before I received Christ. I want to live a free life. How many want to live a free life? So 
All these things that are added in, like there are places in the Bible where that happens, I want to encourage you to know that it's not because the Bible's not accurate. It's very accurate. In fact, it's so accurate. But they added that so that we would understand you can't live this way and expect no condemnation to come in your life. So we, we all got that. So I want to say a couple things real quick. So I receive Christ, you receive Christ. What happens? Everything in your past is wiped completely clean. So all the stuff I now has, I have it as a testimony. And I don't share it that often, but sort of today's message, it fits in what I'm talking about. But my past has been wiped clean. It's just been wiped clean. Your past has been wiped clean. In fact, yesterday, in fact, five minutes ago is your past. Wiped clean. Through the blood. Of Jesus Christ. Your past has been wiped clean. In fact, check this scripture out. Ephesians 1 verse 7. And this will be the New Living Translation. We receive Christ. We're totally wiped clean. Watch this. Ephesians 1 7. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. My freedom, your freedom, was purchased with the blood and we were released from our sins. He forgave us. I don't know. It makes me happy sometimes just to think, man, I had this past. And when you have seven brothers, I was not the youngest, but I was sort of like right under the middle of of, of the brothers. Your older brothers influence you like big time. And so they influenced me to some things that were really good, and they influenced me to some things that were not so good. But I don't blame them. for Like I don't now say it was your fault. What happened was is my brothers all accepted Christ. My family all accepted Christ. My mom and dad, 50-some years of being uh, not knowing Jesus, they received Christ and they lived, uh, both of them lived to almost 90. Both of them lived serving Jesus and serving in my brother Joe's church and doing whatever they could to do just to help. And I think that's such an important thing to see. When your life has changed, you know what you really want to do? You just want to serve. It's just like, I just want to serve. I want to do whatever God wants me to do. But then here's, here's the issue, and this is where I want to start closing up. Not done yet. But after we're saved, all of a sudden condemnation seems to come because of things, even things like this. I feel like I shouldn't have said that, but I did. I feel like I shouldn't have done that, and I did. I feel like the Lord's been dealing with my heart, and I haven't listened. And we start having this... This condemnation comes back a different way than it was before you were saved. Because before you were saved, you were just condemned. But now, all of a sudden, this thing comes on us and we feel bad. We feel guilty. We feel wrong because, man, I'm saved. I've asked Christ into my life, so now I feel bad about whatever it is. And so, I want to ask you this question. Does God forgive you, cleanse you, wash you, clean you? The moment you say, Father, just forgive me. In fact, I want to show you something. This is in 1 John, and then I'll go. I'll start heading down a path. I still got plenty of time, right? 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. New King James, 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. And I'm going to read down to verse 10, New King James. It says this, if we say we have fellowship with him, now, for those that have never heard this before, the word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. And koinonia means the closest you can get to someone face to face. So he's saying we have fellowship with him. So koinonia with him. And we walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So right here today, while you've been sitting in the seat you're in, according to this part, he's cleansing us. He's just cleansing. He says in his word, just cleansing us, right? But let's read verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Remember we talked about sometimes you just have to own it. Sometimes you just have to own, man, I've been doing some stuff that's not right. Just got to own it. Verse 9. If, everyone say if. If we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The day you receive Christ, you receive righteousness. But when we do wrong, he calls it unrighteousness. But the moment we say, Father, forgive me, he cleanses you of unrighteousness. He forgives you. So I don't know if you've been maybe caught up, um, stuck on, whatever, whatever word you want to use, hung up on, something that you've done and you just can't get past it. I want you to know that God wants you to get past that. And He forgives you. Verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. So who's this written to? His word's not in us. He says at the end of this, He's writing it to believers. We know that. Chapter 2, verse 1, just continuing right on. Chapter 2, verse 1, 1 John. My little children, these things I write to you so you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate. An advocate. That means a defender, one who pleads our case on our behalf. We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation. None of us talk like that today, right? <laughs> like you don't go up to someone and say, you know, Jesus has become the propitiation. Of my... Like no one talks like that. But here's what it means. The word propitiation in the Greek language, bringing it over to English, means one who satisfies or appeases God's wrath on your behalf. One who satisfies or appeases God's wrath on your behalf. Jesus did that for you and I. And it goes on and says, the one who satisfies appeases for our sins and not ours only, but also for the whole world. So people who don't know Jesus, who are not in church right now, here, but they're out there somewhere in Sarasota doing something, Branson doing something, online, wherever you live, he already forgave them. According to the scripture, he's already done what he needs to do to them. But I'm talking today, and I said all of that to get to this one scripture that I want to talk to you about. I'm talking today about you and I being in position to receive. And you might have forgot that's what we're talking about with everything that we got came up to this point. But we're talking about being in position. So I want to show you how Jesus got someone into position to receive. How many know Jesus would be the expert at getting someone into position to receive? He'd be the expert. So Jesus is going to take a guy... You know this story very well if you've been part of this church. And he's going to bring him into position to receive. So this is found in Mark's Gospel, chapter 2. I'm going to use the Amplified Bible. And I'm using Old Amplified, the classic. um, Because there's a new one out now. So Amplified Classic, Mark chapter 2, verse 1. Let's read. I'm going to go down to verse 5. And Jesus, having returned from Capernaum, after some days it was rumored about that he was in the house, probably Peter. So Jesus in Peter's house. And so many people gathered together there that there was no longer room for them, not even around the door. And he was discussing or teaching the word. Then they came bringing a paralytic to him. You know this story. Who had been picked up and was being carried by four men. So we all say this, right? Wow, we all need to have four friends like that, right? That are willing to carry you all the way to Jesus. So somehow, some way, we know this from the lady with the issue of blood. She heard about Jesus, so she made her way to Jesus. Somehow, this guy who's a paralytic, either him or his friends heard about Jesus and said, we need to get you to this meeting, right? So watch what happens. When they got there, they could not get him uh, to a place in front of Jesus because of the throng or the amount of people. They dug through the roof above him. Now, today we know this can't happen in our churches. Like, you guys have a roof that no one's going to do that. But for some reason, they got this idea. We have a guy who's a paralytic where four of us are carrying him. It says he's on a mat. If you, if you, you read it in other translations, this one is going to say they let him down on a thickly mat, uh, a pad, thickly padded quilt, whatever it was. But we all know what it was. It had to be like, it had to be something that was solid. Each one of them had to be carrying him on each side. They had to have some ropes that they're letting him down. Let me just say this to you. If you're the guy that's a paralytic, you've got to have a lot of faith just to have that happen. Like you're going to let your friends carry you and then take you. One of them says, hey, I have a good idea. What's your idea? Let's go up on the roof. We're going to dig a hole and then we're going to let you down through the roof. Huh. 
Like he had to be thinking, are you crazy? But he didn't think that way. Right? Watch this. They dug through the roof above him. And when they had scooped out an opening, they let down the thickly padded quilt or mat upon which the paralyzed man lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, that always just blesses me when I see that verse. Jesus saw their faith. He sees faith. Now, in this case, the guy on the mat, I don't know that Jesus was referring to him, but then I think about it and I think, that guy had to have some faith to get on the mat, be on the mat, and let his buddies take him and let him let him down. So Jesus is looking up, they're letting him down, and it says he saw their faith. These friends had faith. Obviously, they're like, we need to get him to Jesus. But watch this. We're talking about getting in position to receive. Jesus is about to have a man who is not in position to receive, but he didn't know it. He thought he was. All I got to get to, I got to get to the meeting. You know, there are people that go to meetings, to church. They're not in position to receive, but they came. Sometimes we as pastors, us who are preaching, we have to help get people into a position where they can receive from God. Watch this. Jesus is about to do that. And when he saw their faith, their confidence in God through him, so that explains what faith is from the Amplified, he said to the paralyzed man, not to the four friends, to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven you. Everyone look up just for a moment. Did he go for that? Is that what he came? He didn't come to this meeting for that. He's coming to the meeting to get healed. And Jesus says to him, hey, your sins are forgiven. That's not why he came. In his mind, he could have thought, I'm not saying he did, he could have thought, I must have got to the wrong meeting, wrong guy. I came here for healing. But watch this. He says they're put away, your sins are put away. That is, the penalty is remitted. Now watch this. The sense of guilt is removed. Here's what Jesus was doing. I'm going to remove off of you the thing that will cause you not to be able to receive. So he dealt with first, this guy, the guy, obviously, if you're in the presence of Jesus, even while he walked on earth, I think you probably, if you had some uh, uh, sins you were doing, it's sort of like this. I used to go to Brother Hagen meetings when I was younger. And there were times, one time, Brother Hagen just got done preaching. It was Winter Bible Seminar. He's up on the platform and he's staring at me. I'm still sitting there and he goes, I'm like, he wants me to come up there. So I start walking towards him because he keeps on doing this. And when he's doing that, you're going. And while I'm going up, first of all, if you've ever been to Rama back then in the day, four ushers came to stop me. They're like, where do you think you're going? I'm like, he's doing this. And Brother Hagin said, so I went up to the platform. On the way to the platform, you know what you feel like doing? Dear God, if I've done anything in my life... <laughs> I'm going to the prophet right now. If I've done anything in my life, you'll get a kick out of this. You know, back when you used to have day timers, maybe people still use them. I use my phone. I had my day timer with me. He's doing this. I come and sit down. He goes, hey. He goes, I feel like God just told me to come to your church in June. I was like, oh. He goes, what do you have going on? And he gave me the date in June. I opened my day timer. And in my day timer, it said right across the whole thing, camp meeting. Creflo Dollar, Charles Caps, like all these people we were having in. He goes, is that date open? I said, yes, sir. <laughs> wide open. He probably looked at it and thought, I know it's not wide open, but I'm like, if the prophet of God, if Brother Hagen says I'm coming to your church, yes, sir, it is open. I called all those guys, told them what's going on. They're like, we totally understand. Brother Hagen's coming. So here's, here's what I want you to think about. I'm walking up to that platform thinking, oh, if I've ever done anything, Lord. Brother Hagin wasn't calling me up there to judge me. He was calling me up. But that's how we feel. We feel like, man, Lord, if I've done anything. You should be that way every time you sin. God, forgive me. Get it right with him. I don't need to get things right for Brother Hagin. I need to get it right with me and God. So he, Brother Hagen, tells this story, and I think it's an amazing story, and I think it might help you. He said in his church when he pastored, and this would have been years before Raymond, 
He said, I noticed, I did a survey, and I noticed amongst people, there were people in our church that they, they were quick to get healed. I want you to hear this. And then there were other people in our church that they never got healed. And he said, the people that never got healed were the ones that should have. They were in the church for years. The ones that got healed quickly, they were the new Christians in the church and lived sort of not yet right. Like they might even cuss once in a while. And he said, they'd get healed. And these guys over here that had been in church for years, they wouldn't get healed. And he said, I noticed what, he said, I, I started paying attention. I noticed what the reason. He said, these people over here that didn't get healed, they were slow to forgive. And they were always mad and held things for years. He said, these people were quick to forgive. And he said, because of that, they always received healing quickly. It just goes to show you how certain things that we can do can actually mess up the reception of receiving from God in our life. So, he goes on and says, the penalties remitted, the sense of guilt is removed, and you are made upright and in right standing with God. Can I show you something? Jesus just did for this man what happens to all of us the day we receive Christ in our life. This guy got it on credit. Jesus had not yet died. He had not yet gone to hell. He had not yet arisen from the uh, dead. And he had not yet given us all the things we would get. He didn't do that yet. He's just walking on earth. He's actually walking under the Old Testament. This guy under the Old Covenant received what we received the day we received Christ. What do we receive? The penalty of sin, it's removed. You're forgiven. It's remitted. Sense of guilt is removed. You're made upright and right standing with God. That happens the day I receive Christ, the day you receive Christ. So, let's talk about this and we'll, we'll start to close up. So, there are promises that we need to be in position to receive. So, this has been stirring in my heart. I preached it not long ago in our church about this, but a whole message on it. Not just this little bit I'm going to talk about. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, there are, there's a verse of scripture about promises that I want you to see. Verse 19 and 20 says this. New King James, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. New King James, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was preached among you by us, Paul's talking, by me, Salvanius, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. Everyone knows that, right? This is not a gospel of, well, one time at our church, we had a preacher in back years ago, and he told a story well-known preacher he told a story how god doesn't save everyone and there are some of you just got to come to the altar and beg and beg and beg and i was like dear jesus i got some stuff to clean up after this one that's why i started to only have people in from rama or, or that camp i was like i that what god doesn't save everyone that's all people need to hear so maybe he doesn't want to save you no for god so loved the world the whole world. Yeah. <laughs> All you have to do is come to Him. Yeah. You don't have to beg. Right. You can just receive Christ. But this person said, man, I was like, dear Jesus, it's not a yes and no gospel. It's just yes. Amen. But then the next verse is the one I want. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him are amen to the glory of God through us. Let me read you the NIV. It just brings it across a little better than that. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us. Amen meaning so be it, to the glory of God. So we have all these promises. Second Peter talks about precious promises, exceeding precious promises promises. So I want to close with this thought. How many promises has God made to you and I? So at our church, I teach on this, um, when I, when I'm teaching on finances or on, on, um, the subject of giving or generosity, there are over 500 scriptures in the Bible on faith from the Genesis to revelation. There's over 500 on prayer. There's over 500 on love. There's over 2,500 scriptures on money. I'm like, why did God jack that one up so high that he had to give us 2,500 on money? Because it's how you handle money, what you do with money, how your heart is towards money. All the things about money, heart issues are really dealt with by Jesus. 
But he knew the area that we would probably struggle in as humans more than anything was money. So there's 2,500 on that. That's mind-boggling. It's like that's a lot of scriptures. 500 on prayer. We all need prayer. We need to pray, right? 500 on faith. We all need to walk by faith and not by sight. 2,500 on money. A lot of scriptures. But how many promises are in the Bible? So recently a study was done. And in the study, they studied how many promises from Genesis to Revelation are in the Bible. Now, I happen to know a a gentleman who is actually a Bible scholar. And he confirmed this as he's one of the guys they used in studying this. (laughs) So um, he's a scholar. From the Old Testament to the New... So all of God's promises are what? That means so be it to you and I. So I wonder if there's a promise for what you're going through right now. My spiritual father always said it this way. Find a a, a promise that covers your situation, your circumstance you're going through. What are you going through? That right now there's a promise. And people say, I just, I, I don't know. I don't know how to find them. We live, we live in a whole time that it is the best time. You have Google, you know you do. Go on and put in their healing or put in their scriptures about mending a marriage. Whatever it is you need, you'll find them like really quick. You come to this church, just buy Brother Keith's book on healing and you're good. I have all hundred scriptures that he has. I have them on my um, phone and on my iPad. And every day I go through a certain section of them every single day. Why? I already know them. Why? Because faith doesn't come by what you knowed back then. What you know now. What you're reading now. What you're speaking now. So just read them over and over again. How many, how many, listen to this, and then we'll, we'll, we're going to pray for some people. There are 7,487 promises from the old to the new. This has been proven out by scholars, not by me. And even scholars that, there are scholars that aren't like what we believe. They're in there, but they don't believe you can have them. But there are 7,487. They might believe in some of them, like salvation. But there are certain things they they just, they don't believe. But they went through. I'm sort of glad they did it. 7,487. Now, here's some thoughts you might have. I don't know all those. Here's what's great. You don't need to know them all. You need to know the one that's current for right now that you need for right now. You don't need to know all of the promises that are in the Bible. But you, will, will, you can learn them. The more you read your Bible, I love that you guys are on a reading plan. The more you read your Bible, the more you read your Bible, what happens? You'll start looking and think, that's a promise. In fact, as you read from now on, start looking and think, that's a promise right there. That's a promise. Now, there's some promises, like the children of Israel will promise land. It's in Israel. I don't, I don't confess that as my promise. Now, you can if you want to, but... I. I have other promises I'm going to be confessing, right? By his stripes, I'm healed, right? He sent his word. He healed them. He delivered them from destruction. I am redeemed from the curse of the law. That's a pro- You've been redeemed from the curse of the law. So you can start putting promises in you every single day. And then when trouble comes, you know, the Bible says he's an ever present help in a time of trouble. When trouble comes, what comes out of you? It's either going to be the promise or, if you're not putting anything in there, what, what's going to come out? You'll allow what's going on in the world to start affecting you, and you'll start saying things in line with the world. So, 7,487 promises God made to you from His Word. I want to close with this thought. So, not long ago, I was reading, and <clears throat> this book was written by a pastor. Now, I know this pastor, he's got a pretty large church, sort of from a different camp than we are, but I was like, you know, he's a good guy and everything. So I'm reading the book. And in the book, there's a chapter where he says, the reason why all these churches have gotten off into false doctrine, preaching on healing, preaching that God meets your needs, like all all that kind of stuff that we all believe, because... They actually believe the Old Testament. And then he went on to explain the Old Testament is not for us today. And he included in this that it was false doctrine, these things. Now I want to ask you a question. 
Is there a false doctrine in the Old Testament to mess you up in the New Testament? Or are all God's promises yes and amen? Got to watch who you read after. Like, I, of course, it didn't affect me one bit. I sort of just was like, poor guy, I prayed for him. That this is what you believe? That these promises in the Old Testament are what has screwed up churches like ours? You believe in healing? You believe that God wants to bless people? You believe that? You got that from the Old Testament. Well, here, here's the thing. It's in the New Testament. And Jesus, who was bringing the New Covenant, talked about things. But let me, let me, let me explain something. If you're here and you're like, well, I sort of believe that. Let me, let me just help you with something real quick. The Apostle Paul took so many scriptures from the Old and brought them into the New. So Paul, a lot of times, is quoting Old Testament stuff. Peter, preaching one day, Peter, he brings stuff from the old into the new. When Peter says, by his stripes you were healed, he's pulling that from the old. He also has the knowledge that Jesus, Matthew 8, 16 and 17, right? He healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself, took our infirmities, bear our sicknesses. Peter knows that. So Peter's looking back. He knows Isaiah said it, 53. And Peter's looking right there. Jesus did it. And now Peter's talking about it in one of the epistles. That means somebody took an Old Testament scripture about healing and brought it into the New Testament. Are you all with me? So why I say all of that is I want to position all of us right now, get our hearts so that if you need something from heaven right now, that you can be in position for it. When I moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma, I went to church at Buddy Harrison's church. Buddy Harrison was the son-in-law of Brother Hagen, Pat Harrison, his wife. She's still living, still preaching. Pat is his daughter, Brother Hagen. And he used to always say this. He'd say, you gotta get, you gotta get under where the spout where the glory comes out. Like that was, that was the thing back then in the day, right? You probably, you've heard it before. Get under the spout where the glories. Well, People make fun of it, you know. It's like, well, what, what spot would you like to be under? Like, I, I want to be under that. I want to be where the glory's coming out. I want to be. And so what? how does that look naturally today in our lives? When you come to a meeting and you're sitting in it all week, you're like right there in the place where God's pouring out in that place right then. That's why it's so important to be in stuff like that. So right here, right now, I believe this with all my heart. I've been praying way before we ever got to this point in this worship experience, I've been praying that God would pour out His glory on people that are hurting and that need a touch from heaven. So I want to take a moment and I want to go ahead and pray for people. I'll close out my part and turn this back over to Dave. Um, so if, if you would, first of all, if you need healing... Um, if you need a touch from God, nothing to be embarrassed about. I, I think it's always interesting when people are like, I, I'm not going to stand. I don't want anyone to know that I need healing. Well, when people can connect their faith along with you while you're saying, I, I need healing, it's a perfect time. So maybe you're here, you're hurting in your body. There's something physically. I know this, that the Bible is true. Whether you're young or old, Jesus can touch you and he can heal you. So if you need healing, before we do anything else, let's stand. Not everyone, just if you need healing. If you need healing, I want you to stand. If you need healing, just stand up. And then, because that's a lot of folks, I want anyone around them, if you can, to go ahead and get your hand on them. Put your hand on those that are standing right now. Father, we thank you. Thank you for healing. Father, you said in Psalm 107.20, you sent your word, you healed them, you delivered them from destruction. You said in Isaiah 53 that by your stripes we were healed. You said in Isaiah 53.10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him, crush him. Why? So we could be healed. I pray over every individual right now that's standing, everyone in Branson, everyone online that needs healing in their body right now. Jesus, we receive from your promises. 
Father, we thank you that you sent your word, Jesus, and you healed them. We release healing power right now in Jesus' name into each person's body. Strength to come. And Father, I pray right now that resurrection power, repairing power, restoring power will touch each person's body in Jesus' name. I thank you from this very hour their bodies begin to recover. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Can we all lift our hands now? We can all stand. Let's just all lift our hands. Father, we praise you. Can we lift our voices? Father, we magnify you. Jesus, the healer, we thank you that you're here. Thank you that you're touching bodies. We honor you. And if you're that person that's been living a condemned life, you've been feeling like, you know what? I I, I feel that condemnation. But today was the day you were set free. If that's you, I want to just pray for you. If you need healing in the realm of my mind, my thoughts, all, all of that stuff that's been going on with condemnation, I want to be free from that today. We'll do this a little bit different. If that's you, you're saying, Pastor, man, that message on condemnation just set me free. I am now free because I'm now in position. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Just get rid of that thing off of you. So just, if that's you, you can raise your hand. No one's looking around. Father, in Jesus' name, we take authority over the enemy. No more condemnation. Position to receive from this point on. We thank you for freedom now in Jesus' name in their life. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who just ministers life to them, freedom to them now. Father, we thank you there's no distance whether they're online, whether they're in Branson. Same anointing is ministering life to them and setting them free now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can we all lift our hands one more time?